We all know what hate is. In its purest sense, it really needs no definition. Uh, from thoughts to emotions to actions, we witness acts of hate daily on our national and local newscasts. And we also witness hate right here on our, in our own backyard uh, in eastern Long Island. Uh, and it's multifaceted in a sense we are all victims, and that's truly the case, and that's why we're having this program. But unfortunately for many of us, it may seem like it's somebody else's problem, and unfortunately, it is not. I'm Julian Phillips, and on this special WLIW-FM program, we are going to explore hate in depth, its subtleties, and of course, how it affects you personally, and it affects all of us. And also, more importantly, what you can do about it. And this is part of Exploring Hate, a reporting initiative uh, from the WNET Group on Anti-Semitism, Racism, and Extremism. And joining me on this broadcast, I have an all-star broadcast here of people here, Eric Post. He's a Long Island Regional Director for the American Jewish Committee. Elaine Gross, who's the Executive Director of Erase Racism. William Kiley, a good friend, a retired Suffolk County Deputy Chief. Uh, he's also an author of children's books that deal specifically with these issues. And last but not least, Chaplain Sanaa Nadim from the Stony Brook Interfaith Center. Welcome uh, to all of you. I, you know, I just want to start off with you, Eric, uh, and talking about this whole issue of what's been going on in the news recently in the last at least several weeks, two is particular, about a 50% spike in anti-Semitic hate crimes. We've seen this nationally. We've seen this, of course, here on Long Island, swastikas being painted on uh, elementary schools in, in Port Washington. And, and, and most recently, this horrific crime of a Jewish uh, man being attacked by thugs in Times Square. He was on his way, and he's from Lawrence, Long Island, and he was on his way to a pro-Israel rally. Uh, following that, subsequently, uh, a rally uh, recently of hundreds of people on Long Island uh, against anti-Semitism. Give us your insight on, on why these spikes are occurring right now, more so than ever before in recent times, and what do you think can be done about it? Sure. Thank you, Julian, for having me today. And AJC has always viewed uh, anti-Semitism from a trifocal lens. We see it coming from the left, we see it coming from the right, and we see it coming from religious extremism. However, now, and you mentioned uh, the gentleman who was attacked in, from Nassau County in Times Square, we see a, uh, a vitriol coming uh, against Israel, uh, which has resulted in anti-Semitic attacks against members of the Jewish faith. Uh, this has been a phenomenon in Europe for many years of the Jewish community, but only recently uh, now that we've seen it in the U.S. Um, and we feel it's really a result of three Ds, we call it, demonizing Israel delegitimizing Israel and holding Israel to a double standard. Uh, and what we feel can be done about this is really statements from interfaith leaders, statements from our elected officials, from diplomats, from all our friends across the board, that regardless of what we think about international issues, regardless of what we think of what unites us and what divides us, that we stand together against violence against any of our uh, fellow Americans. We stand against violence or de defacement of property, religious or otherwise. Um, and we need to separate that from any kind of other opinions we may have. So AJC has something called the Community of Conscience, which Elaine is involved with through Erase Racism. We have Muslim, Latino, Asian American, disability rights, LGBTQ groups that are coming together to denounce hate. And we've activated on a local, state, and federal level. Um, and we had some wins. The No Hate Act recently on a federal, federal level passed, which is great. On the state level, we just are in the middle of passing a bill against cyberbullying. And on a local level in Nassau County, we're working on tackling the issue of underreporting of hate crimes, 
which affects everybody in every community. So that's really what we think is the problem and what can be done about it. Right. And I want to make this clear, too. If anybody thinks this recent spike in hate is something that's unusual or unique, I just want to go to a New York Times article. Uh, this was uh, in 2015. Uh, back in the 1930s, there was a, uh, an anti, a Nazi sympathizer camp in Yapank, Long Island. Uh, and they had street signs out there named after Adolf Hitler, Joseph Goebbels. All those have been taken down. But basically, this community apparently still exists. It's a very small community where they basically do not want anybody in there who is not of German extraction. This has been going on a long time, right here in River City uh, on eastern Long Island. And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to anti-Semitism. And I got to tell you, I was quite surprised uh, when I was doing my research and, 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 and the amount of uh, anti-Semitic crimes uh, that existed. Uh, this is through the Suffolk County Human Rights Commission. Uh, this is uh, something, it's an eye-opener for me doing my research living on Long Island. I'm sure for a lot of people who think this is something that really doesn't affect them or it's not that close to us. You know, Bill, I want to talk to you about uh, this. Uh, you, you know this particular book was written by Dr. Howard Thurman. Uh, it's called Jesus and the Disinherited. It was written in 1949, and it could be uh, something that was written uh, just yesterday. Uh, there's a chapter there called The Four Stages That Lead to Hate. Can you explain this to us? Sure. Um, uh, indeed, uh, Thurman's words from uh, decades ago are, are as applicable today as they were then. Uh, Dr. Thurman, who was uh, Martin Luther King's mentor in many ways, um, said that uh, hate couldn't be defined, but it can be, it can be described. And he, he, he called it the anatomy of hate in kind of the four stages. Um, the first one was that it often begins where there's contact without any fellowship. So there's no warmth, there's no genuineness. And second stage is a kind of understanding that is strikingly unsympathetic. The third is that the unsympathetic understanding then expresses itself in active functioning of ill will. And eventually, that ill will turns into hatred. So basically, Bill, you know, hate can start in very subtle forms. And, and Elaine, I want to talk to you about this because we had talked prior to this and gathering this whole group uh, that, you know, a lot of people think, well, okay, I see something on TV. It doesn't relate to me. Uh, but there are things that perhaps in all of us that are very subtle. Uh, give us some insight into that. Sure. So first of all, I, I would not um, in any way minimize the harm that is done by countless individuals and groups because of religious hate, and racial hate, and any animus uh, held against others based on an aspect of their identity uh, and the actions that they take. But there are other harms that do not require the intentional hate at the point of action. So for example, I'll use systemic racism as an example. Uh, we know that racism was clearly behind the decisions to um, make sure that African-Americans could not participate in and benefit from the affordable housing that government was building. And we know Levittown as an example of that. But we don't necessarily think about the ripple effect, the fact that that intentional discrimination 
uh, was not just in housing, but it was in healthcare. And we just went through COVID and we saw the, the large disproportionate number of black deaths uh, due to COVID that really stemmed from that systemic racism. The fact that there had been this long history of lack of access to health care and also uh, what's coming out with the more recent research is how the healthcare providers were actually providing disparate treatment uh, based on race. And so these things are um, a result, not of an act of hate in the immediate sense. And a lot of times people don't even realize that their actions are actually a continuation of this long history of systemic racism. Mm. Um, and we even know now, we use the language implicit bias, that we gather from our environment so many, so much misinformation and myths that uh, then have us make judgments, our brain making judgments faster than our conscious brain, our automatic brain is doing that making judgments about people, making decisions about people. Sometimes it results in like early death of whole populations. Sometimes it results in uh, disadvantaging that can be anything from um, keeping people out, not educating children properly, uh, to the kinds of physical things that, that we see from that overt hate. So I just want people to get both of those pieces because they work together. Yeah, you know, you mentioned something interesting too, uh, two words, ignorance and myth. I'm sure many of you are old enough to remember uh, the old musical that was a blockbuster, uh, The South Pacific. Uh, and there was a song in there that says, you've got to be carefully taught. Uh, a lot of people who are dealing with ignorance and fear are talking about myths, falsehoods. And case in point, I just want to give you a little bit of history here. Uh, Bill actually gave me this as well. Uh, nearly 100 years ago, uh, there was an anti-Klan rally uh, on Long Island. It was out in Bayshore on the South Shore. Uh, it, it dealt with religious uh, persecution uh, about myths uh, of Catholics. Uh, and the people who were uh, disseminating this information in part were Protestants, uh, along with other groups. About 40,000 people attended uh, this rally. They came in, uh, not just from all the parts of Long Island, but uh, from New York City as well. And we're talking about religious uh, persecution as well and religious hate. You know, um, uh, Chaplain Nadim, I want to bring you in on this. And, you know, this is a hard conversation, but I think it's one that needs to be had. Uh, when it comes to certain things that people may not want to talk about. Um, there are many communities here in the United States that are very insular. Uh, they are religious communities. Um, they, uh, they are uh, communities uh, of people coming to Cubans, um, all sorts of folks coming in, and they kind of basically stay within themselves, within their community. There was a report not so long ago where they found out that a number of people only venture out of a five-block area, square-block area from where they, they live. Ignorance and fear mayhaps may be perpetuated by communities 
who really don't want to interact or are reluctant to interact with the greater community at large. In, in your mind, Chaplain, how, how big of a problem is that? Thank you, Julian, for having me. And that's a great discussion that needs to be uh, had. Um, I pondered a lot about the question that you sent me. And um, I've been thinking, and I put something down last night, because there's so many layers to what we're talking about. Um, The type of communities, the different backgrounds, the different affluency, education, integration. So this is what I put. Uh, I said there is nothing about being insular, religious, or immigrant minority that makes you more likely to hate anyone else. Um, I feel like the question preposes that belonging to a certain A-group creates a structural mechanism that reinforces harmful or problematic stereotypes of other groups. I think we need to start thinking about hate, fear, uncertainty as being a promulgated by individuals, not groups. Otherwise, we risk hitting groups against each other. And my experience has been aligning with other minority groups to combat hate and to um, to combat hate and create a create a bridge between different traditions and cultures and religions and civilizations um, that has been perpetuated by this majority by by individuals from the majority, if you want to call it that. So in in my mind and in my heart, I feel that um, when we talk about immigrants or we talk about other religious groups, it's a a painting that has so many different colors and and types and and, and, um, cultures and traditions and religion. And if you talk about immigrants that came in the 60s that set up rules and set up roots for, for their communities and they were educated, they were affluent, and they integrated in the society. But then the, seven, the 80s have come in and the 90s and other types of immigrants came to the country for, that were blue-collar workers or hard workers that worked all day and just, you know, gravitated towards the normal or the familiar but generations from them came along. Their children became part of the society. They integrated in medicine and in law, and they, they called for social justice. We have them now as Congress, you know, uh, people part of the political system. However, there are those other minorities that, that feel um, the fear of the other in the sense of fearing that they may not be accepted or they may not belong. And you've mentioned active hates. We had in Brentwood just the other day, um, the flag and artifacts burned at the uh, Brentwood Mosque. Hate is, is an individual, but yet can be a flame-oriented sentiment that, 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 takes, that takes hold of people. Um, we can't think... Uh, people with one brush. We have to, 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 to think individually about who we are talking about. But in, in terms of the human aspects of this, I'm going to uh, tell you something. Um, some, a wise person told me that, and he said that, in the fog, I saw a beast. 
As it came closer, it looked like a man. As it came closer, it was my brother. It's that fog, Julian, that we are continuously trying to combat and continuously trying to 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 um, uh, I don't know, to, to wipe away. And that's education, getting to know one another, getting to understand each other as human beings, um, regardless of colors, origin, religion, who we are. And that is America. This right, is but here, here's, the, here's a problem, though, that I, that I see. Diversity. America is right. continuously going through the evolution of diversity, different centuries and different people and different players, but some work harder than others. Some have the ability to want to explore other people. They have the curiosity to get to know about different cultures and different traditions, and some right. believe that they're supreme and, and they don't need to know the other. So... It's a lot of uh, topics. Right. But I, 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 you know, I want to get to the crux of this, though. You know, we, we are in a nation now that is uh, largely divided and, and quarterized, and we have all different sorts of formats and mediums coming at us where people can get their information. Of course, those who deal with hate, we're talking about the dark web and other kinds of things like that. With everything that's coming at us, and we got to come to a close with this segment in a, in a minute or two, I, I want you to briefly touch upon it. Anybody can um, jump out on this. I am... Um, Joe Jackson sitting on my living room chair, drinking a beer, watching the, the, the local news, and I see an act of hate uh, that's perpetrated against uh, Jewish people. And I'm saying, okay, that's horrific, but, you know, what does that have to do with me? The question is, what does it have to do with that person? We know it does. President Biden said that when he signed the anti-Asian uh, hate bill recently. How do you get people to understand that any act of hate is, is an act against all of us. Anybody can jump in on this. Uh, thank you, Julian. Thank you for the question. I think you, what we really need to do is tell the stories that are behind acts of hate. So one story that I tell often is about Pittsburgh, where the largest mass shooting of Jews in this country happened two years ago. The, the man who perpetrated that incident targeted that synagogue because they were holding a Shabbat, a Sabbath, to welcome refugees and immigrants. So if there's any proof that we're in the same boat together, there it is. The Poe attack in California a couple years ago, the manifesto of the shooter said, I tried to light a mosque on fire and was unsuccessful several weeks back and then shot up a synagogue. So we need to tell these stories. We need to tell that these perpetrators, they don't care what minority group they attack. But if it's the first the Jewish community, it's going to be the Muslim community. It's going to be the African-American community. It's going to be immigrants, whoever they vilify that's not that fits into the same bucket as them. And we need to tell these stories and get out there that, and, and I couldn't agree with Sana uh, more, that we need to show unity and uh, that individuals uh, who, who engage in uh, any type of hate speech and the hate action need to be sanctioned, need to be uh, you know, handled by the police or appropriate authorities. And we need to speak out in one voice and say, this is not us, this is not America, and this is not what we stand for, and it's not acceptable. I think we also need to act before that act of, of violence. Sometimes it's only the violence that captures our attention. And meanwhile, we forget, where do people get this? You know, they get this from the education. One of the things, horrible things that happened just a matter of weeks ago related to school board elections. 
and how there were uh, candidates running on tickets that were against diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, there were, you know, flyer found in an African American that was um, was already a school board member was running for re-election. His flyer was defaced with a racial slur, um, you know, saying that the N word, you know, do not run. Um, these kinds of things, they don't come from nowhere. They come from a steady drumbeat that is denying the benefits of racial diversity that feel challenged. Yeah, it is almost, Elaine, like a trickle-down effect that turns into a mighty waterfall. Listen, uh, we've run out of time for this segment. Uh, you know, I think we just whetted the appetite of folks who uh, want to learn more and get involved, and we'll let people know how they can do that at the end of this broadcast. Thank you all. Uh, when we come back, uh, a former white supremacist who has dedicated his life to eradicating hate. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody, to WLIW's special program, Exploring Hate on Eastern Long Island. Frank Meink is a former white supremacist skinhead gang member, and after serving three years in prison, he transformed his life. Many of you may know him. He's well known on the national scene. I believe he has also testified before Congress, uh, and he has a great, great story to tell. Frank, welcome uh, to our show. You got to let us know what you've been doing recently. You know, you're involved in so many things. Tell us what's been going on in your life dealing with this issue of hate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right now we're dealing with uh, an issue of a lot of neo-Nazis over the last 30 years have become police officers. It's kind of rampant. And uh, we've been identifying them, pointing them out, seeing what lobbies and unions hide them from us, right? And Philadelphia is a great example. Um, we have a couple other cases. Uh, and, and there's a, so what I've been working on is, you know, we'll never be able to get the wing extremism out of police. They get all stop watching Fox News today, right? But that's not going to happen. So what we have to deal with is the limiting their access to us. And that means no more searching cars, no more pulling black people over in the suburbs for not using their blinker just to search their car. Like this is not, that's a violation of the Fourth Amendment for one. And when we put that in the hands of racist police who just don't like black people, want to make sure that they're not welcome in their part of town by pulling them over, searching the car, the unwelcoming crew. We want to take that away. That is something that needs to go. That is what built this mass incarceration. So, and I know it all, that all is under the umbrella of the war on drugs too, which is just another thing we have to work on. But um, I know that uh, there's some reforms that we really like to, and uh, real quick, I like to give those reforms. The first one is um, in policing in the last 15 years, a new tactics used. It's called making us crawl to them. They get black people out of cars or they get people out and then they stand by their car and they make them get on the ground and crawl. And they do it all the time now that we are the American people. We don't crawl to nobody. We only crawl to him. And that's it. And these police officers have become gods in their heads where they think they make us crawl to them. It's a new tactic. It's a bad tactic. And, and it's just a power move. That's one tactic we want moved. Second is, mm -hmm. if you should kill an unarmed citizen in this country, an unarmed child of God, you are no longer allowed to be our servant. No matter what circumstance, we'll deal with legal family ramifications, but we need to train our officers that if you shoot an unarmed citizen or if you mess with the the police report or the video, life in prison. 
because you just covered up a murder. We're asking that they be trained to not shoot unarmed citizens. Take that one more second. We are not armed. That's what that badge means. That's what makes you heroes to us, is that you don't shoot us armed. So that's our second reform. Third reform, stop searching cars in America. Stop bringing dogs around us, right? Those dogs are not real. They make up when they say they get hit as a bully tactic, especially towards our black and brown and indigenous brothers and sisters, and it needs to stop. That's the three reforms I would go for that we're trying to push for um, on top of getting rid of that cop flag, which is the next, the new Confederate flag of America is the cop flag. So um, that's what I've been working on today. I'm, I'm doing my job as a white person. See, dismantling white supremacy isn't on black people. It's on us. I want to I want to unpack a lot of things that you said here, as you know, and of course, our guests in the first uh, uh, part of this program know that there has been an effort for police reform uh, in Congress. Uh, it's passed the House, but of course, it's still being rankled upon uh, uh, by the Senate and, and Republicans. Uh, my question to you, Frank, is do you think uh, the efforts of police reform have gone far enough in, in your mind in, 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 as far as our lawmakers are concerned? No. And they have it. And what they continuously do is they do to the black communities. They pull the rug out from them every time they say they're going to get real reform. And then they pull the rug out again. And then we go right back to the same system. So this time we need for these real concrete changes. We need to give our civil servants a servant heart that they don't have anymore. And I'm sorry, I'm not talking. I am talking in general about all of them, but it is entrained in them. And I want to say this to, to people that are listening. There was a, a white woman in Colorado, a 73-year-old woman named Karen. On top of everything, her name was Karen, the white name Karen. Do you know how many black people stood up for her? Do you know how many Black Lives Matter people want to bat for her? Do you know how many Jewish people want to bat for her? And I want to talk about something real quick that uh, Eric Post talked about, and very important in today's world. Jews have been the greatest allies to the civil rights movement since it's been informed. And even up into these times. So when I see that the left or sometimes the people that I'm even involved with, where they start putting Israel and Jews together, it's the Jews have been our allies for so long. And in fact, I converted to Judaism because of that one, re mm. one, not one reason, That's because I believe in the one true loving God. But I converted to Judaism back when I was making this decision because of the alliance with civil rights. So I, we need to always make sure that everyone knows that the Jews have been the greatest ally to the civil rights movement, and we have to remember that. But I want to say when people go around and they're beating up people at a sushi shop in California because they're Jewish, they might be hurting an ally. On top of that, they might be hurting a child of God. They are hurting a child of God, period. But you don't know who you're attacking. So we need yeah. we need to stem that a little bit. And also yes, something okay. I want to talk about real quick, since you have me on, uh, uh, Elaine Gross said something very, very important that we need to really look at here. On our local election levels, we need to watch who's getting in our districts, in our school boards. We need to watch these little, those are the real elections. I understand the big national ones are very important, but we need to keep watch to make sure the little extremists ain't getting in our school boards, ain't getting in our little town, our city councils. We have to watch for that right now. In other words, you're talking about the Marjorie Taylor Greene effect, which is going on right now uh, in Congress. Listen, uh, police reform aside and some of the actions and initiatives that you think are worthwhile, I think it's also uh, good to point out 
uh, that, you know, we have a lot of good police officers out there. Bill Kiley, obviously, on this panel is one of them. And I happen to know a lot. I happen to be an honorary chief of uh, personnel for the NYPD. Uh, and there are a lot of good cops. I think the issue right now is is penetrating that 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 uh, that the blue wall, uh, where you know those who uh, need to be held accountable should be held accountable, and that's something we can talk about later. But I, what I want to get into with you is, and and why we are here with this issue of hate. You were a white supremacist. You were a neo-Nazi. You spent time in prison, and some would suggest sometimes you can become even more hardened when you were in prison. What was your road to Damascus experience? Uh, what, what, what turned you around? You know, it, 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 I got to give all credit to God at all times. I can't say that because I'm so fabulous, I got through this life. That didn't happen. God kind of pulled me through things to, to maybe make me a vessel. I don't know. But in, in prison, right before I got sent up to prison, um, I, I did this fast with God and um, for I always put that that my whole prison time was really easy as a, as an inmate. I mean, I, I was in one of the hardest prisons. I was young. I was 17. Um, I had a big swastika tattooed on my neck. But I, I made it through prison, and not like in the movie American History X where my, I didn't leave my gang, but God made it very easy for me because I made I met men who I was a city kid. I was from Philly, but I was in the Chicago prison system. So my biker gang, my Aryans, we're all like bikers and stuff. But the kids from Chicago, I kind of got along with a little bit more because they were city kids like me, right? And I started to connect with them. Then when I got out of prison, I still was an Aryan. I still was a, a neo-Nazi. That was what my I thought my calling was, right? But I'm having some views change. Like, I'm like, all right, I, I mean, I get it. When they say all black people are this way, I know that's not true, right? I mean, just those mm -hmm. type of... Uh, God was putting the right people in my life to prove me wrong. But then finally, um, uh, I was trying. I was trying to get a job. I have a big swastika on my neck. I have skinhead written across my knuckles at the time. These ain't good people skills. Better one have aggravated kidnapping on my record, right? So nobody is hiring me. And uh, this Jewish man in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, gave me a, a full time job carrying in, carrying furniture. And he's like, I don't give a rat's butt what you believe. Just don't break my furniture. And I showed up every day and I worked for the man. And he treated me like a human being. And every day for six months I worked and I still tried to be a neo-Nazi. And finally one day when, see kids with a, a lot of neo-Nazis, a lot of people that are, have these issues, <laughs> we're spiritually sick. That's what we are, it's, it's spiritual sickness. And um, I always thought I was dumb. I always thought I was stupid, whatever. And, and, and Keith, you started, Keith finally told me one day, stop saying you're stupid, you idiot. You're one of the most smartest people I ever met. Well, I gotta and, tell uh, you, you broke yeah, it down. We, we, all right. Well, that's good. You know, we've kind of run out of time here, but you talked about a couple of things that a, a number of our panelists mentioned earlier in the show, education and enlightenment. And that's certainly what we need here. Uh, we, we hope this past 30 minutes have been enlightening and thought provoking and perhaps have given you, uh, the viewer, the listener, a reason to become involved and, and to rid our area, big or small, of, of this issue of hate. Now, for an extended uh, a version of exploring hate with our participants and information of the organizations and individuals who have participated in this program, you can reach them by going to the WLIWFM website at WLIW.org backslash radio. Okay? 
Uh, this program, once again, is a part of Exploring Hate, a reporting initiative from the WNET group on anti-Semitism, racism, and extremism. And it couldn't be brought about uh, by if, if it were not for our benefactors and supporters. Leadership support for Exploring Hate is provided by the Sylvia A. and Simon B. Poita Programming Endowment to Fight Anti-Semitism, with additional major funding from the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund and the Patty Asquith Kenner. Additional support is provided by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Nancy and Morris W. Offit, and Judy and Joss Weston. I'm Julian Phillips. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>